Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. They're at the vanguard of a green transition. They're delivering locally in a time of global energy turmoil. Utility companies are having their moment in the sun. Energy is on everyone's mind around the world. Energy independence, energy prices, energy availability. Utilities historically have been viewed as stodgy, slow-moving, boring um, boring companies. Uh Um, I would not be here if it were anything like that. The utilities that are going to thrive in this environment are the ones who have a diversified energy mix, particularly the ones who have a higher percentage of clean energy resources uh, that is reliable, such as nuclear, as well as wind and solar, and uh, gas in the mix to back those up. Duke Energy, providing regulated gas and electric services to about 10 million customers in seven U.S. states, has flourished in the spotlight. Revenues have rebounded since COVID rocked the industry in 2020. The volatility that's driven profits has also created pressures. We're in a period of inflation. We're in a period where commodity prices are high. So every season of leadership is going to have some uh, particular challenge. And Duke will meet these challenges with fresh leadership. After almost a decade at the helm of finance, Steve Young decided to step away from the role. In September 2022, company veteran Brian Savoy became CFO. Why now retire from your position as CFO? I thought it was time. Uh, It made a lot of sense. Brian is ready. Succession planning is something that is ongoing at Duke Energy. And this gave us an opportunity to promote Brian, someone who has great financial background, good market and economic background, who also has led businesses, so understands P&L. And so it just felt like the right time to begin that transition. The transition in the C-suite comes as Duke embarks on a transformation of its business. Aiming to retire all coal by 2035, achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050, and reshape its portfolio around natural gas, nuclear power, and renewables. Where we're basically rebuilding generation and transmission and distribution to meet the needs of the future. We're going to invest $145 billion over a decade. That is a staggering amount of money, which means it's a staggering amount of things we've got to go buy, replace, install, make work and do it in an affordable way for our customers. That's a tall order. It's a team effort. Savoy will have plenty of support from Young, who's now Duke's chief commercial officer, and Lynn Good, who was once Duke's CFO herself. Any advice you want to give him from your, your CFO hat? CEO hat, you can't give advice. The CFO hat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the advice I gave him was, you know, jump in with all fours and make this job as big as you can. Because you sit at the nexus of so many things in the chief financial officer role. The business, the regulation, the finance, um, delivering value to investors and to customers. And I think Brian is very capable of doing that. It's an amazing time to be in this role in this moment. Stressful? Extremely. And daunting. (laughs) There's a lot going on. um, But I wouldn't have it any other way. Here's what Duke's power generation mix looked like in 2021, with coal and oil nearly a quarter of the portfolio. Here's how it should look by 2030. Renewables will more than triple as a share of the company's power output. 
We have been putting pieces in place in our regulated business for several years to really accelerate this clean energy transition. Renewables bring um, price stability because there's no fuel, right? It's either the sunshine or the wind. There's typically uh, a significant capital upfront investment, but it's predictable. Natural gas is needed to balance the grid and the reliability needs because the wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine all the time and batteries can't bridge the gap enough, right? Um, so our plan is to reduce natural gas over time, but use it as a bridge fuel as we proliferate renewables. And nuclear has been just a tremendous benefit for our customers. And we see promise in future nuclear in the 2030s as we move to the transition. That's not the only transition Brian Savoy will manage. Duke wants to focus its time, money, and resources on its regulated businesses, and it's looking for a buyer for its commercial renewable energy holdings. Our commercial business is one that I ran, so I'm very familiar with, um, and it served us very well. But it is only 5% of our company, right? And, and our regulated business has a clear path to growth, and the competition for capital is fierce inside our company. And there are a lot of, lot of interest. There's a lot of money wanting to, to invest in green energy. They are performing a strategic review right now of this business, and I think it makes sense to do so, right? Because uh, in the utility space, to really get credit uh, in evaluation for a non-regulated business, such as renewable generation, right, you have to do it at a much larger scale. And it does make sense to take a closer look at maybe somebody else is a better store of capital here and recycle capital to redirect that into their regulated business. Duke forecasts earnings growth of 5 to 7% through 2026, driven by a lot of capital investment. The company intends to spend a whopping $145 billion in the next decade, with the lion's share going to changing its energy mix and modernizing its grid. Brian Savoy is in charge of deploying this capital under highly challenging conditions, including the highest inflation and most volatile energy prices in decades. When you get a surprise like high fuel prices, we need to adjust things like O&M. And so we work with operations and, and the relationships I have throughout the company are positioning me well to help influence our operators to adjust their cost as we need to for customers. Do you feel that reducing costs right now while also increasing spending is different than in the past because of the inflationary pressures, because of the energy transition? I would say yes. There are a lot of um, pressures on the business that we might have had in short spells in the past, but it feels more systemic that we're going to see you know, inflation for some time, higher commodity prices. With the kind of volatility, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Brian, so I need some more money for my division to do this, are you like the no guy or, or are you able to be really nimble and, and make sure you can be the yes guy? I would say I'm the how can we guy. Okay. Right? <laughs> um, but we, if we say yes, to a request that was emergent, we got to say no to some other things. So how do we prioritize and make it all work? CEO and former CFO Lynn Good knows how hard this balancing act can be. I think anytime you're trying to balance, you get pulled in various directions. Um, there will be a pull to um, build more renewables um, by certain of our stakeholders. There will also be a pull not to go that fast because it could be too expensive. Maybe our industrial customers are worried about price, vulnerable customers worried about price. So trying to strike that right balance with policymakers, with customers, with investors 
is uh, is a challenge in any moment, and it'll be a challenge in this one. Take me inside some of the conversations you guys are having at Duke right now. So you and Lynn and, and other C-suite executives sitting around a table, what do you guys talk about most right now? Supply chain has been a moving target of issues, right? Um, I, last year at this time, we were looking at solar panels and how do we lock in our, our solar panels that we need for the next several years to ensure we can execute the clean energy transition. It has moved to different components like transformers, which are essential for the grid. Interest rates and the pace at which the Fed is moving interest rates is something we talk about each and every week. And when will that flatten out and how will that impact uh, our business? We are a very large debt issuer. so. We watch this extremely closely because it affects our cost structure. Do you want to wait until interest rates level off? And then does that delay your capital raising to deploy your plan? We don't wait, but we do plan. You know, when there's opportunistic times to, to issue debt, we will go with larger, compo- larger pieces or versus smaller. Um, and we can work with the length of the debt, right? If 10-year is priced more attractive than 20 or 30, we'll, we'll use the tenor to optimize the interest That's rate. all I knew, yeah? Yes. Brian Savoy is taking on a new challenge as he steps into the CFO position at Duke Energy. It's really just his latest challenge. He's touched virtually every area of the company over the last two decades. I started my career at Duke in Houston in our trading business. Um, And I was with Deloitte & Touche before I joined Duke. Duke was one of my clients. You know, what I saw in Brian was tremendous enthusiasm and energy. He was ready to take on new assignments. He was thinking about advancing the ball for the corporation uh, as opposed to any personal goals. And that that came through. Uh, He helped us on a number of complex projects. And the more we gave him, the, the more he, he continued to grow. I've had five different roles in 10 years, and I've seen different parts of the company from you know transformation, leading natural gas and commercial uh, strategy. This has prepared me for the role I have today. What's the advice that you've given him? You know, I've, I've told him a couple of times that you're not gonna get a home run at every at bat. There's gonna be days where things go wrong. Be patient, be calm. Keep your eye on the ball for the future, that the, the thing you want to get to eventually, uh, you'll have bumps in the road. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions. So more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Fixing things that go wrong and smoothing out bumps in the road is what customers expect from energy providers. And for Duke's renewable assets, that process is overseen from one room in an office building in Charlotte, North Carolina. Brian Savoy showed me around the company's renewable control center. This is where our operators um, are monitoring and managing over 5,000 megawatts of renewables across the United States. How would this differ from like a conventional asset monitoring center? Yeah, so assets, uh, historically, Mm -hmm. they would have the monitoring center on site. So you might have an operator with screens, but at the site, whereas this we can do 90 sites. There's offshore wind, onshore wind, uh, solar, and they're looking for the smallest change in output because Mm -hmm. every megawatt hour is money. 
you put an asset in, let's say it's 100 megawatts, mm -hmm. right? You expect to get 100 megawatts each and every hour that the resource is there. The resource could be sunshine or it could be wind. And when you get 90 or 80, you, you're, you're not producing what you can. And it, it can be because the asset isn't, isn't working properly. Maybe, maybe something hit the turbine blade on the wind farm. Maybe the solar panel has debris on it. Or it could be the solar intensity is not quite there. When one of these assets isn't producing full capacity, we're putting another resource on and we're having to toggle this mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. And, and this, as clouds come, it's, this is by the minute. This is not, uh, or the hour it's off. No, it's by the minute. And then it'll, it'll fall, come back. And we have assets that follow this um, digitally as well so that we can keep a consistent flow of electrons on the grid. The operators in this room can respond to incoming data with immediate action, remotely controlling wind turbines, solar panels, and batteries. It's another example of using digital and technology tools to make us more efficient, to make us more productive, minimizing the amount of people we have to have running around and observing, and giving us the statistics to really be able to maintain and monitor those uh, facilities. We couldn't see degradation and output as fast as we do now with the technology and the digitalization of, of the, the system. Now we still need technicians nearby. Mm -hmm. And so we use traveling crews that can go, uh, say, uh, sites in Kansas versus sites in, in South Texas versus Central Texas and, and across the West. We have round-the-clock shifts, but about 20 people rotate through these shifts. And again, we're covering 90 sites. We got about half a dozen people here uh, at any given time managing it. You could think that would scale out over time as renewables grow in the United States. So would you say that as you invest more in renewables, it's a hardware thing or a software thing? Like where do you think you're going to spend the most money doing that? Obviously the software will continue to improve yeah. over time. And the sensors on the equipment are very important to, uh, again, identify those degradations in output. But it's deploying the hardware, deploying the assets on the ground, getting the sites ready, connecting them to the to the grid is is a huge lift. Duke's hardware and software mix keeps evolving and so does its workforce. Retooling also means retraining. We've moved people to the renewable space. Mm -hmm. Some of these folks used to be in coal. We've moved people to cybersecurity, which is a growing area that we need more and more because as everything gets digitized, there's more opportunities for bad actors to penetrate. So we need high cybersecurity skills and when you match that with operating skills, you really have a beautiful mix that makes it a strong, strong uh, operator. Operators here have plenty of micro details to keep track of, but there's a macro factor on their minds as well. That's the weather. We have maps of the United States just to gonna give the operators a bearing of what's going on in the country. And we have plotted on it where our renewable sites are. So they know if, if there's a weather pattern, weather system coming, I expect that in that, mm -hmm. in that area. How do you manage extreme weather? So let's say we have a wind farm in the west and a wind storm is coming. Yeah. You know, the assets will turn off when the wind speeds exceed a certain level automatically. Okay. Um, because there's, there's risk of, of uh, breakage of the blades and, and damage to people and assets uh, and, and, and stuff. If we know a wind storm's coming that, that might damage the solar or a, a hail storm, for instance, right? Um, we can watch those assets closer, we can put a crew on site, uh, but this team would be dispatching those crews on, onto the uh, location. And that's where like the weather map and the team like really works together. That's right. From hurricanes in the southeast to wildfires in the west, extreme weather events are becoming more prevalent and more intense. Utility companies are bracing for greater risk. 
When we think about the impacts of extreme weather events on the grid, large grid connected resources would still, such as large-scale solar farms and large-scale wind farms, would still rely on a centralized grid to deliver electricity to the load centers. So to the extent that the grid is knocked out by a hurricane, those assets would go offline as well. So in addition to investing in uh, green generation resources, it is extremely important that companies pay attention to grid hardening measures. We're seeing more of it, mm -hmm. more frequency of, of uh, severe events and how we predict those, monitor those, and, and estimate the damage using data analytics and machine learning to say how many customers might be out if this happens, what generators are at risk, and all that, that modeling goes into our planning for what we put our investments We talked about the capital plan earlier. All those investments are informed by the climate uh, trends that we see across our system. The next decade for Duke Energy is pretty clearly mapped out. Raise and spend $145 billion on a massive clean energy transition. Put the bulk of those investments into regulated businesses while investigating the sale of non-core assets to fund that push. It'll all be up to new CFO Brian Savoy to execute this plan and make sure it delivers optimal financial growth. The motion is adopted. Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act in August, putting provisions in place that make his task more manageable. The Inflation Reduction Act provides incentives for renewables, it provides incentives for battery storage, and it provides incentives for nuclear. All of those incentives for a regulated company go right to our customers. They reduce directly the price of our product. So when I build a renewable product, it's going to cost me less, and it'll cost my customers less. It's going to help our renewable transition. For example, 1,000 megawatts of solar equates to about 60 million in annual production tax credits. We're going to have 30,000 megawatts of renewables on our system by 2035. The Inflation Reduction Act has been um, a very important piece of legislation. It's not only that it creates a number of incentives for a variety of assets, right? It also is very durable in long term. So instead of a patchwork of different tax credits that we've seen in the past, it actually creates a glide path going well into 2030s for this uh, long-term transition on the grid. Political winds may shift and regulations are always subject to change. For the moment, policy in Washington aligns with Duke's strategic goals. Do you feel like there's a real partnership now? We have um, a voice at the table. I have a lot of conversations with the Treasury Department mm -hmm. about, about tax policy and, and And as they define the rules around the IRA, they will seek input from people like us. And we will weigh in. This is what you should think about as you write the detailed rules to implement this, this act. When it comes to the relationship between utility and policymakers and regulators, those have always been extremely important. Those utilities that cultivate, have cultivated those relationships in a constructive fashion where they've been good stewards of capital and uh, operated the system well and took into consideration interests of various stakeholders in addition to, you know, the equity and debt investors, of course, uh, those utilities enjoy good relationships with their regulators in our experience, right? And that over time translates into constructive rate outcomes and, uh, and better recovery mechanism. Recovery mechanisms are set at the state level. They also help companies and customers absorb the capital costs of the clean energy transition. We cannot adjust our price without working through regulators. And modern recovery mechanisms allow us to adjust price more frequently and align with our investments. So that hmm. when the investments start causing expenses, revenues follow and then there's alignment. Otherwise, we call it regulatory lag, where you have expenses before we can earn revenues on those assets. Historically, we would build up investments, mm -hmm. then have what's called a rate case, 
and have a large increase in one, one slug. The modern recovery mechanisms place assets in service each year, essentially. So you're smoothing rate increases over time so customers can plan better and we can plan better. Even with meticulous planning and regulatory tailwinds, U.S. utilities must proceed with caution. Europe's energy crisis highlights the fight between green energy and energy security, raising questions about how fast and hard the world can pivot. There's been criticism, say, in Europe that they were trying to go too fast into um, renewables, for example, and therefore they left out nuclear and they sort of shuttered coal plants and now they're paying the price in that respect. Um, What's the right pace? I think the pace is maintaining balance with reliability and affordability. That's the only way we know to, uh, to gauge pace. We will not put a plan together that we don't have a high degree of confidence. We can serve our customers every hour, every season. And we have to keep an eye on affordability. We call it a responsible balance transition. The transition away from fossil fuels is coming. I mean, just think about coal. Five years ago, you could get as much coal as you want. Now coal's constrained, and it's going to become even more constrained. So operating coal assets is not even going to be an option as we move through time. So Mm. um, the convergence of energy independence and security, I believe, is coming soon. That's the state of play for Brian Savoy as he starts his tenure as Duke CFO. I asked him what he sees when he looks ahead. What is the biggest opportunity over the next 10 years as a CFO that you're most excited about? Over the next decade, I feel like utilities have a moment to really make a mark on society. And again, it's long lasting. It's going to be for our grandkids and their grandkids. So putting the utility sector in prominence of the world, that's what I want to do. What's the biggest challenge? What are you most worried about in the next 10 years in doing your job? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is balancing investment, the investments we need to make and the transition in front of us with the cost to customers. Because the oversight by regulators is only getting more and more and more, right? And we've got to be more clear on the customer benefits of every dollar we spend that turns into value for customers. And I can see this playing out in just hand-to-hand combat over the next decade, and we will work it. And we believe the investments we're making will, will meet that that bar. What is a skill that you have as CFO that you think will help that? I'm wired for value. I don't like waste at all. And when I see um, things that we need to change, I have the courage to make it happen. And as CFO, I'm in a position to really move that in Duke. And what's a new skill set of knowledge that you're excited about over the next 10 years? I would say the, the new skill set would be how to balance all of the external views of the company with the internal. Like I've, I've worked inside this company and have great influence, but ensuring that a similar level of influence is, is out in the external world. What's the best advice you've, re- you've received coming into CFO? You know, I will go back um, many years ago, over, over 10 years ago, I was working for Lynn. And she told me, Brian, the skills you have position you for a wide range of roles. I had no idea what that meant then. This was like 2009. But as I've looked at my career and she has moved me to gain experience across Duke in the right areas of operations and strategy, that advice back then I didn't appreciate, but I appreciate it now more than ever. I'm Alex Steele. This is Bloomberg. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.